the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Morning, everybody. It's in the 10, Saturday morning, February 25, 2023. Good old 710 KNUS. The weather looks good. 52, sunny and mild. Tomorrow, Sunday, 55. Monday will be a ski day. All is well in the world. This is one of those mornings we get to have folks on that we respect. The first hour was, uh, I thought, was, again, wonderful. Professor David Smith from Baylor University talking uh, historically about what's called tripwire wars and where we're headed and we're talking about Ukraine and talking about uh, just history of the past. And he's just an absolute brilliant guest. We're standing by for Robert Spencer from Jihad Watch. And then this book was sent to me. And this is good work, good work by, Blake, uh, by Blake Gallagher, entitled FM, The Rise and Fall of Rock Radio. And a few weeks ago, uh, we did the book, uh, Don't Bump the Record Kid, Mark and Brian Show. And it was uh, Mark Thompson for 25 years, co-hosted at Mark and Brian in California. And they're very much companion books, although the New York stuff is real rough. And the rise and fall of rock radio, Richard Neer, he's coming up at the bottom of the hour. Do we have Mr. Spencer? Standing by there, he is. Here he goes like this. This is a morning for people that I respect, ladies and gentlemen. When I started, um, I don't know, how many years, Mr. Spencer, have we been together? Oh, my goodness, Peter. When did we meet? It's a long time ago now. Oh, and it was Uh, was prior to 9-11. Yeah, I think it was in the 90s. Yeah. Um, man, it's so long <laughs> I know, ago. <laughs> I, I, no, I said that. I said this morning, in the last hour, we had, uh, he teaches history at Baylor University, and I read his book years ago, and he's just become, a, like you, he's become this friend and become this person I respect what they believe. And we did um, about this notion of a trip wire war, war, and then... We're both fans of uh, Barbara Tuckman's, and then we got into all these different conversations about the United States, foreign policy, where we belong, where we don't belong, and the march to folly. And, Mr., of course, Mr. Spencer, which you had watch, has been a spirit guide. He's told me what to read, what to look at, and he's just been one of these appears in my life many years ago, and he's been a, he's been a teacher. And I thought about you when I was talking about doing Dave Smith, and these things are called tripwires. And one of the things that I said, and I, I think uh, Professor Smith, you know, was, is when, when, the, when George Bush and Dick Cheney kept screwing with Saddam, and I'm not defending Saddam, but screwing with Saddam, one of the things that they, they did was called a no-fly. And believe me, <laughs> I thought, what would be the odds that something as stupid as a no-fly? I mean, it's like Biden is walking us into a tripwire. I'll begin all over again. Mr. Spencer, do you believe any of that? Oh, I believe all of it, Peter. I think that he uh, doesn't know or care what he's dealing with, that they want a war. They want a war, Peter, for a lot of reasons. One of them is the military-industrial complex's profits have been declining. Bingo. They don't have Afghanistan as a cash cow anymore, and they need a new one. I agree. They have been getting it from Ukraine to some degree, but they want to step it up. 
that's one thing. The other thing is that they think that the um, that the population decline would actually be a positive thing. These people believe in uh, apocalyptic visions of climate change, and they think that there are too many human beings on the planet. And we have to take that very seriously as leading to the likelihood that they think, well, if a few million people are killed in a world war, that would be an ultimate benefit for the climate and for those of us who are still here. And they, they, that sounds crazy, no. but they take that kind of thing seriously. No, I... And so they don't look at it like we would, that this would be madness and millions of people would die. They think, hey, that's a great idea. That's just what we want. And, of course, they don't realize how much the mil U.S. military is weakened. They can't envision. It never crosses their minds the possibility that they could end up on the losing side of a war. That's, you know, the U.S. hasn't won a war since no. World War II. And they don't know what it means to win a war. But they also don't know what it means to lose a war. Because while we have lost wars since World War II, they were far away. You know, we lost the war in Vietnam, and it was humiliating. And we lost the war in Afghanistan, and it was even more humiliating. But it's way over there. And there are refugees here and a few more new exotic restaurants. But that's about it. As far as the Beltway people are concerned, that's all the consequences that there are. It's a black eye to our reputation. They can't imagine losing a war like Germany lost World War II and having occupying powers in the country, losing territory, um, being sub subjected to the opprobrium of the world. And I'm saying all this quite deservedly in terms of Germany, but they never it never crosses their mind that that could happen to the United States. But it could because the military is drastically weakened. It's all politicized and all concerned with implementing critical race theory and all that nonsense instead of learning to win wars. And this is a very risky game that the Biden people are playing. Well, I agree. I mean, it's, again, as we were talking, uh, Tuckman, Barbara Tuckman wrote a, an essay entitled Practicing History. And I've returned to Tuckman quite a bit. And it's probably least known of the work that she did, but it, it really talks about the view of the human condition, if you would, but principally about worldwide troubles and the repetitiveness of these troubles. And I keep thinking, I'm back reading, I'm reading a book, I just got it two days ago, it's called The Commanders. And it's a comparison and an analysis of the lives of, of uh, George Patton, Montgomery, and, 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 the, and the German, come on, Peter, make his mind work. And so they're talking about these three men and who they are and now they're into the first world war and it's the desert fox bernard montgomery and and george Patton, and how they were all three terribly wounded in the first world war all three incredibly brave men and only one of them survives the second world war but how they go off to the colors so quickly for little little, little or no reason at all and I think to myself, and they, and they, the First World War is a tripwire war, war. And are we walking into a tripwire that we will, we will eventually trip the right wire, and then the balloon goes up? 
World War Three could break out any minute, Peter. Really, it's it's never been closer. I think in our lifetimes, it's never been this much of a serious possibility. When, but the the you know Putin's made it clear yeah. that he will consider military materiel from the U.S. and Ukraine as an act of war. The only thing that's really keeping it from already having happened is that he's not in that mm-hmm. great shape himself. His military is not so strong itself that he can take that risk uh, yeah. of of getting involved in a world war. And that might be the only thing that saves us at this point. The one guy, and so far in the book, Cook the Manners, is, is Rommel, because he's on the losing side. But even then, it's reflected in just what you said. The Germans did not believe they lost the First World War. They believed they were conned. And in there is this Edwin Rommel. He's different than Montgomery. He's different than Patton. And I think to myself, what you just said, I'm going to have to spend a lot of time thinking about. Um, And one of the things I asked David Smith, and again, Robert Spencer is with us, when the United States of America invades Iraq for no reason and, and murders and kills and combat death and destruction, Putin never got involved whatsoever. Why is Biden involved in this? Why is Biden involved in Ukraine? There's a very interesting question right there that I don't know if we'll ever get to the bottom of. But I think, well, it was Ukraine that gave Hunter his sweetheart job. I know that. that, uh, And so, you know, I got to wonder if there is a um, pecuniary aspect to this and a personal aspect to this. Like uh, people were joking when he made his surprise visit the other day to Ukraine. Oh, he's picking up his 10% in person. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> I he's waiting for the envelope. <laughs> he's like, yeah. yeah no, yeah. I mean, I, Mr. Mr. Spencer, you know, when is the last time you were really shocked about anything? Uh, shocked. Shocked. Let's see. Um, shocked by Trump's victory in 2016. <laughs> um, right. I really thought that uh, right. they, they had that sewed up. They thought so, too. And really, it's because actually, the funny thing about Trump, you know, um, I go back and forth about what I think about him. But uh, I do know that even in his failure, he has done a great service to Americans by exposing and forcing them to come out into the open, exposing the left oligarchy that controls the nation. Uh, this is something that most people didn't know about, and now they know. But I think it's it's more of these people fly no flag. They're like a multinational corporation. They don't. Yeah. They, they they have no allegiance to the Republicans or the Democrats. Oh no, certainly not. That's why I say I didn't say they were Democrat yeah. oligarchs. They're left oligarchs. Yeah. They want to have an internationalist state. Yeah. This is one of the reasons why they've erased the southern border. They don't believe in borders. They don't believe in nations. Mm-hmm. They think that nations are bad and are the sources of wars. And so they think that if we start this international conglomerate government, then there will be peace. But this international conglomerate but, will have to necessarily be an yeah. authoritarian state. But that idea has failed again and again and again and again. It's not the first time it rises its head or raises its head. These things Indeed. have all done before. And... You know, all empires fail. I, I'm, we're sitting on something. I'm an old guy, and I got this grandson that I love. And I'm thinking, I picked him up yesterday at school, and I'm thinking, what's waiting for this guy? You know, I'm in the middle of all these things I'm reading and watching. What, Mr. Spencer, what are we watching happen? 
Well, we actually are watching in the larger sense, Peter, the dissolution of the rule of these people that the uh the the these far left oligarchs who want to establish an international authoritarian world order they may well do something close to that but at the same time their days are numbered they are the remnants of the world war ii order that was put in place uh in 1945 and they're desperately trying to hold it together but it's outdated, it's obsolete, oh, yeah. and well, it we, is contrary to yeah. human nature in you know, so it, many ways. And the, the critique, it ain't going to last. Yeah, the critiques of the creation of the UN are beyond going and never, you know, and, and, and best of League of Nations, it's the, it's the Congress of Vienna. It's all been tried once before, or twice, or three yeah. or four times, and, 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 and failed every time. Uh, Woodrow Wilson's a failure. I'm at a point now, our guest, the one and only Robert Spencer, and I, think, I always know that he'll give you a radio show, that watching all of this, these actions, and after, and I mentioned Putin sits and watches Bush and Cheney, or Cheney and Bush probably, do what they did for all of those years, never did a thing, sat and watched. Um, and now I see Putin being, I'll use these words, driven into the arms of the Chinese. And when you get the Chinese, you get the North Koreans as icing on the cake. And I'm reading the role of the multinationals inside of the PRC, uh, People's Republic, who want to take much of their distribution, go to India. There's such a problem there. And then, of course, Iran and Iraq and the Iranians are supplying the Russians now with, with, with drone technology. And it's like this setup for the First World War again, Mr. Spencer. Yep, that's exactly what it is. And at a certain point, it's going to all kick in and we're going to have the World War. I don't know how it can be avoided. It might be postponed, but this rickety world order is not going to last forever. And it's it may not even last another year. Uh, so it's ending up that it could be actually China, Russia and yeah. Uh, China, Russia, and Iran against the United States. And that would be a disaster and, and, in so many different you know, ways. You know, I saw that UN vote all these condemnations of Putin, but then join in. But they won't. They're smart. And I was sardonically laughing because they're talking <laughs> about these leopard tanks in, from Germany. I said, gee, when was the last time there were German tanks in Ukraine? <laughs> I mean, think about that, Mr. Spencer. I mean, um, and the well, not only that, but these guys are Nazis. I mean, you know, I, Zelensky yeah. is. Uh, I don't. I don't buy that he's Churchill. I don't buy oh. that he's even no. noble. The Vanity Fair photo shoots and all that kind of soured me on him. And then we just keep seeing the the Nazis in the U in Ukraine in positions of power at the forefront of the fight against the Russians. And, and you know, just a couple of years ago, the left, the Democrats, rather, in the House voted to uh, cut aid to Ukraine because of the Nazis. And now they're the same people standing up saying these people are heroes. And we were talking with David Smith. When you read that history, when you even go back to Romanovs or even before the Romanovs, um, Russians and Ukrainians and Poles 
have been at war. And then comes the Romanovs, and then after that comes the Bolsheviks. But I was mentioning that to, to Professor Smith, when Barbarossa happens and the German army shows up in tanks, the Ukrainians point out where Jews are hiding. They side with the Nazis. There's an SS division of Ukrainians. And the war will continue, even though the, the Red Army pushes them back. The Ukrainians fight, some people believe, until 47 to keep the Soviets out. So everybody's got stuff that nobody wants to talk about. Maybe that's a better way to say yes. it. But, but Ukrainians, yeah, had, Ukrainians had no problems pointing out to where the Jews were hiding. Yeah, they, they were completely on board. They figured that the Nazis were uh, an alternative yeah. to the Russians. Yeah. They hated the Russians yeah. because of the famine that yep. Stalin had All provoked. Of All of it. And so they enthusiastically embraced Hitler yeah. and the whole thing. Yeah. No. And it's still there. Yeah. Leave us with something. Uh, Robert Spencer from Jihad Watch. I, I look at this stuff, and again, with listening to people that I respect, and David Smith and yourself and so many others, and it's very unpopular in this country today. Oh, why you know I wanted to bring up with you the great the great Chinese balloon fiasco. I mean, they put this. Whole, I I believe that part of the role of talk radio and media, and we were talking about Pulitzer and Hearst earlier. I mean, they scared the bejesus out of a bunch of old ladies with a Chinese balloon, and they stayed on the Chinese balloon. And I mean, the the great Chinese balloon fiasco that now Joe looks like a hero because they shoot they shoot the balloon down. And what happened to the Chinese balloon? But that was, what's it called, fear factor. And did, did you see that as, as I did? Yeah, I think so. Uh, it's, it's funny how the whole the thing sails across the country oh. taking pictures, mm. and then he shoots it down. Well, <laughs> and and sure. we're supposed to think he's heroic. Yeah. Well, they told him, Joe, there's a balloon up there. But, you know, and then, but I think it's like, what Hearst and Pulitzer and others have done in the past. And I just, yeah. I mean, again, I don't know if this is a, if this is just being an old guy, Mr. Spencer, and seeing too much and read too much, but th- this driving force in, in, uh, in talk radio, the driving force in, you know, in cable news, the driving force in the straight news, the driving force on the internet, that we have to do something. No, no, we don't. <laughs> it's just that we don't. Look what's happened. So leave us with something. Well, you know, yeah. like I said at the be- at the beginning, they want a war. I think they so, do, too. I really do believe they're that. they're going to be yeah. fabricating incidents of this no, kind. No, That's just the kind of thing they're going to be doing. Yeah. No, I do believe that. And I also believe that this country has been so used to seeing Middle Eastern uh, cities destroyed or jungle destroyed or bombing in, in, in Asian uh, countries that now they're seeing – First, uh, first and Second World War kinds of pictures, and this is a great shock. Um, and and of course, media outlets, radio outlets, love this kind of stuff. When I'm thinking, just walk away, leave these people uh, alone, and then see what happens. Yep, yeah, not going to happen. Not going to happen, is it, Mr. Spencer? Not a chance. Give a plug for the website so people can read you. 
Yeah, jihadwatch.org, and I have a new book, The Sumter Gambit, How the Left is Trying to Foment a Civil War, Ooh. available now at any self-respecting bookstore. Would you, first of all, say the title again and then send me a copy? We'll get you on the air. Yeah, so. absolutely. All right. The Sumter Gambit, How the Left is Trying to Foment a Civil War. Have uh, have your man send me your address. What I'm going to do is I'll put you on hold, and then he'll give it to you, and we'll do that. Okay. Take great. care of yourself, Thanks. sir. Hang on. Robert Spencer. Um, we're going to do a drop with Alan Samuel, and then we're going to do this book that I'm looking forward to, FM. Cowboy Moving and Storage, the recommended mover. Go to CowboyMoving.com. Click on the customer reviews. It's incredible. 1,300 reviews, every, all of them positive on what Cowboy's able to do. The unheard of customer reviews for, for their website. And for, see for yourself why Cowboy's the recommended mover. Family owned, family operated, same family since 1968. Cowboy provides residential commercial moves throughout Colorado. Can store your valuables. They do load and hold. And this is how this works. Basically, you're Moving into a new office, new residence, but you got to leave your current location before the new place is available. And this is the storage service for you. It's a load and hold trailer. They come and they are just you know, high and dry, right? They load all your stuff up and you need to get out of where you are and your new place isn't ready. So the load and hold trailers come and they take them longer term, long term or short term storage. And it's dry and it's warm and they keep your goods over there. And then New place is ready, new, new office is ready, new home is ready. They pick you up, here you come in, and then they unload. Cowboy is the recommended mover, the men that actually do the work. These guys have been with Cowboy forever and truly make the difference from moves to loads to holds. Cowboy has been Colorado's recommended mover since 1968. Through the past, Cowboy donates a portion of every move of Freedom Service Dogs, which is a great organization. CowboyMoving.com, 303-789-2200, 303-789-2200. Call them up. Ask them. You know, they'll come out and give you an estimate on moving a grand piano. I mean, Freedom Service Dogs, recommended movers, the best guys, the hard workers, load and hold trailers, 303-789-2200. Call them today. 26 minutes after the R10, 1026, great segment straight ahead. Saturday morning, February 25, 2023, good old 710 KNUS. 52 will be the high today, 55 Sunday, Ski Monday. Um, I want to set this up. A few weeks ago, um, I had listened to somebody blow an interview, a book entitled Don't Bump the Record Kid, The Mark and Brian Show. And the guy's name is Mark Thompson. And for 25 years, he co-hosted this Mark and Brian Show uh, out in California, in L.A., on KLOS. And I thought, man, what a home run. And then somebody hips me to a book entitled FM, the rise and fall of rock radio. I didn't put the book down. Please say good morning and welcome to Denver, Colorado. Richard Neer, brother man, home run, just a home run. Welcome to the show and good morning. Well, good morning to you and thank you so much. I got to tell you something. Um, I've knocked around the business quite a while and I've often said if you're going to teach a class on radio in that time period, and I, I realigned my curriculum. There's a movie called Telling Lies in America. Have you ever had an opportunity to see that film? I have not. Mark it down. It's about Paola Plagola because you write about Paola. And uh, it's, a, it's Cleveland, Ohio. I think it's set there for a reason. But a, a young you know, a private school kid becomes this go-between for the disc jockey and the payoff, and he mules the money. And then I would add to that uh, the book uh, Don't Bump the Record Kid. But after yesterday, when I finished FM, The Rise and Fall of Rock Radio, there'd be two books to read and one movie to see. Richard, congratulations, man. Wonderful book. 
Well, thank you very much. It's uh, 21 or 22 years old at this point. Yeah, I know. I but know. Uh, it, it kind of holds up oh. uh, and, and it's appropriate for today's uh, rock and roll radio. Absolutely. And much, I guess like all of us, there's this moment comes that you know you're in love with this business and then you stay with it. And it's like being married to a woman that cheats on you all the time and you can't, you know, but you're still in love with her. Um, you're a kid. And the same thing was true with, you know, Mark told the story about riding his bike to meet the disc jockey. And he comes up to meet this guy that he loves. And the guy says, don't bump the record, kid. Um, you're a young guy. Well, just pick up the story because the New York stories are different than the L.A. stories. But pick up the story of how young you are when you fall in love with radio. Well, I probably was five years old. My father um, was a aspiring disc jockey or a radio host at that point. Mm -hmm. I mean, back then, there were radio dramas. I mean, radio is very different than what it turned out to be. And he would have a bunch of his friends come over to the house every, I think it was Monday night. They'd gather around a microphone and a wall and sack tape recorder, and they would record radio dramas. Mm -hmm. And they would write scripts, they would uh, adapt Voltaire and things like that, and they would produce them with sound effects and, you know, the whole Megillah. And I guess that's where my love of radio and, and sound began, where I started to, you know, want to be part of my father's uh, retinue of uh, actors doing radio, and that's uh, where I started. My, uh, my mentor was a guy named Bob Lee. Bob Lee was in Detroit. When he was a young kid, he actually was a radio actor. And he was on Challenge of the Yukon and the Lone Ranger. And Because in that time period, there wasn't a lot of tape delay. You just did feeds, an East Coast feed, a West Coast feed. And he would regale me with stories about, and they were, I think, in XYZ Detroit. And they were, and he played like the ingenue, you know, sod buster, young army lieutenant. Um, you know, he had that voice. And he was he he was in those those shows, and that must have been wonderful, wonderful radio. Really, must have been. You know, I recently saw an interview that Orson Welles did with the late Tom Snyder, and he was talking about the Mercury Theater. And of mm -hmm. course, everybody knows War of the Worlds and that great broadcast, which uh, <laughs> had people jumping out of windows. So they thought it was so real. But he was talking about doing that way before War of the Worlds and how he was making a couple thousand dollars a week back in the early 30s doing radio drama and doing different voices. And, of course, Orson Welles had one of the great, great radio voices, great voices, period. But uh, that must have been some time when, you know, go the quarters of NBC and bump into Orson Welles and Joseph Cotton and all these People who later became famous in the film industry. Bob said he worked with a guy who played the dog. He played Yukon King. And he was sitting in a corner. <laughs> no, I'm not making this up. And he said when it was time for, you know, when, when Preston would say, and the show was called, we used to call it Sergeant Preston, but it was called The Challenge of the Yukon. And he would say, you know, I rest you in the name of the crown was the tagline. And this guy would get up to the microphone and bark. <laughs> I'm so, so the dog didn't talk. Yeah, I'm, I remember the the Sartre and Preston television show, yep. which was one of the first color shows on TV. And uh, Yukon King was, of course, the hero. And Sartre and Preston would get in yeah. awful oh. situations, oh. and all of a sudden there was Yukon King Absolutely. bailing him out. Absolutely. Him. 
and they would always go, down, king, down, boy. And so I'm, I, 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 I grew up on that stuff. And so later I meet Bob, you know, and he's really my mentor. It takes me in, under his wing. And they start telling me these stories. Well, sometimes they go for a drink between shows and come back and do the West Coast feed or the East Coast feed. He said sometimes King had a little much too much to drink. And he said, and then King would get going and down boy, down boy. You know, and, and, but that, that must have been a hoot to do stuff like that. That really must have been fun. Well, I mean, when you think about drinking and the radio, yes, yes, you, know, you do. <laughs> I don't think much of that goes on today. No, but boy, back in the day, yes, I can tell you that um, I had a mentor by the name of Scott Muni, a yep. name you probably know. Yep, uh, famous New York disc jockeys in the Radio Hall of Fame, and he had that great radio oh. voice. He had uh, how do you spell relief? <laughs> relief. He did those commercials, right? Oh yeah, and. Uh, he did the voice of Monday Night Football for a yeah, while. Yeah. Well, Scott, uh, we'd go out to lunch, and we'd have, you know, he'd have two or three scotches. <laughs> and then he'd go into the studio, and there would be a bottle of Johnny Walker Red <laughs> in the corner. And every hour, he'd have a, a slug of that. And he never, ever a- appeared to be drunk. He no. never slurred his words. He never spoke slow. He always, you know, but he... Probably by the end of his show would have, I don't know, seven or eight drinks. <laughs> <laughs> Bob had a, we did a morning show together. It's the first hit show. And I just, I'm trying to write about it. And we met, Denver had a Playboy club. And uh, I was like, I, I was a, this break-in kid doing, being a traffic reporter and jocking M.O.R. And because you get into this whole Montavani does the Beatles, you know, you, that's like, so that was me. And so the Playboy club, so I got invited to the Playboy club. Met Bob, and we sat down at the t- table with Soupy Sales. And ah, Soup had been a oh, and Soup had been a jock. So, Soup had been a jock. So he and Bob were telling disc jockey stories, and we're all drinking. And Soupy must have had about three or four getaways. Then it was time for Soupy to do his act. Stood straight up, went up on the stage, killed the place, came back down, picked up the drink. Those guys were wonderful. You, <laughs> they, they were great. And you talk about talking dogs. Soupy had White Fang and Black, Black Tooth on his TV Black show tooth, in New yeah. York. Yeah. And they'd go, He told me. The dogs would talk. And they would, you'd know what they were saying by the tone of voice and how they expressed it. I asked him that legendary story did he go and tell the kids to get the money on. Yeah, New, yeah. New, that's a true story. Those, those green pieces of paper Thank in your you. uh, parents' tell, wallet. Yeah. Tell that story. Tell Because it's a true story. Tell the story. I believe it was on New Year's Day or New Year's morning. And he said, you know, your parents probably went out last night and they're probably sleeping late. So <laughs> what I want you to do is get an envelope and put my name and here's the address. And, you know, those little green pieces of paper they have in their, uh, their wallets or their purse, put them in the envelope and send it out to me. And people did it, yeah. I guess. Yeah, they did do it. And he told, he was I, telling I us guess Soupy got in trouble for that later on. I Big don't know. time. I don't know the episode. He said they would do the closet stuff. He was, just, he was just wonderful. I mean, and he said sometimes I'd open the door, and he's the only one that could see in there. And he said, there'd be like a nude woman in there. <laughs> they did all kinds of stuff. And, and, and they were doing live. I mean, it wasn't like they were doing tape delay. They were live stuff. I, oh, yeah. And that was something you tried to do. You tried to break the other guy up, yeah, you know, yeah. when you're doing a live show. You, you do anything oh. you could to, to break up the guy and make him laugh. 
I just uh, listened to the Mel Brooks uh, audio tape, uh, All About Me, his book, his autobiography. Mm-hmm. And he has stories about working on that show of shows with Sid Caesar that'll just, you know, crack you up. I mean, some amazing stories about what it was like doing live radio and live TV. Oh, they, I read that book, actually, and he, I think he's one of the great comic geniuses, but today we can't show Blazing Saddles. And um, he makes a point of saying that. He says, like, well, his, one of his great works, he believed, was Blazing Saddles, and I certainly believe it as well. And he said they've they've chopped up his film. I, I don't know. I mean, that's for another moment, but I'm with you. Those guys, what, one of the things that you did, and I'm kind of a um, radio history geek reader, you took this to a whole other level, Richard, talking about payola plugola and where it actually began. I thought that was really great history, but um, Bob, again, I go back to Bob Lee. Bob was my mentor and went through what was called the scandals and about guys that were on the take. When we come back, and I need to do a live, and I need to drop, a, drop something into the show, and we'll come back, and let's talk about, because that, that, that was the history I've never read before, so that was part of congratulations to you, where really, where payola begins and plugola begins. The book is FM. Richard's last name is spelled N-E-E-R. Richard, how's the best way for people to get, get a copy of this? Uh, basically, just go on Amazon and uh, type in FM, Rise and Fall of Rock Radio, or my name. I have an author page. I've also written 10 novels. Oh. And, uh, you know, you can pick up the novels. And, and the novels have a radio theme as well. And I'm going to tell you about a novel when we come back okay. that I'm working on now, which is a trilogy about early radio. So we'll get wow. into that later, I, can we, I hope your time's good. I booked it till for another hour and 20 minutes. So I'll put you on hold. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when I get a chance to talk to a guy like you, and you go back, and we'll talk about the beginning of Payola Plugola, which I never read before. I thought that was great. This guy's name is Richard. His last name is spelled N-E-E-R, The Rise and Fall of Rock Radio, titled FM. I'm Peter Boyle, 710 KNUS. Good morning, everybody. An old guy like me, and I don't know, I'm picking up a brand-new motorcycle this morning. I'm pretty pumped. And first time I walked, well, actually, I met Dr. McKellen. She came to the radio station, and you've heard me say it before. To say it again, Dr. McKellen saved my life. And kept me healthy ever since. I can't imagine not having Dr. McAllen in my life. She spent time with me. And she, no, don't do this, do that. Be healthy, optimally healthy. The world exists at Cenogenics Denver. You'll be seen and cared for by, I mean, McAllen's not just a doctor. I tell this woman's a healer. She's an emotional healer. I turned 80. <laughs> I'm skiing Monday with my daughter, picking up a new sickle today, exercising daily. And I feel great. Life is short. Play hard. Your health is too precious. Get involved. Call Cenogenic 720-302-2992. Visit them at denvercenogenics.com, denver.c-e-n-e-g-e-n-i-c-s.com, 720-302-2992, 720-302-2992. Morning, everybody. 1042, 18 before the hour, 52 will be the high. On a Saturday morning, February 25, 2023, 710 KNUS, Denver's talk station. I'm Peter Boyles. We're going to do it back to the, we're going to take another turn here, but we won't. We'll go back to the book FM, The Rise and Fall of Rock Radio. Richard Neer is our guest. And you did some early history on how Payola Plugola worked. Richard, I never read that before. Would you, would you talk to the audience about where this really comes from? Well, it actually started, believe it or not, in the 1850s. 
back then, of course, we didn't have recordings. You didn't have wax then even. You just had uh, sheet music. And what would happen would be uh, people who wrote songs would pay performers to do their songs in concerts and saloons, wherever they would do them, to encourage people to buy the sheet music. So they'd actually, you know, that's where payola actually started. Well, when radio came along and disc jockeys were, you know, playing records, the same type of thing happened. People, uh, record companies hired what they call promotion men, promoters. And they would go out and they'd try to influence the individual disc jockeys to play their records in order to get more sales. And, you know, it, it was illegal, I think, from 1941 on. Uh, they had passed a law, but it was a law that was honored more in the breach than in the observance. Uh, you know, they, the government didn't want people doing it, but they kind of nudged and winked and uh, it went on. And, you know, they would never, ever do it publicly. It was always, uh, hey, this might be the next record you want to play. And there'd be a record sleeve, and inside the sleeve might be a $20 bill. Uh, depending on the market, if it was a big market, it could be a $100 bill. And the disc jockey would play the record and slip the money into yeah. his pocket. Yeah. And uh, that's that's how it continued really through the 50s. And, you know, the name... Alan Freed, I mean, that was the face of Paola. Yes. He was the guy that brought before the uh, congressional committees, and uh, he admitted it. He said, look, that's the way the business runs. We take money, we play records. We were, um, I, I had a music director, because mu my understanding is music directors are the, are the result of those investigations that individual guys, and Bob talked about the 50s in Detroit. Detroit was a hit-making city, and so... He said the mob was involved, and they all knew it, and everybody knew everything. And so uh, Billy Ashford, who's gone now, was a great music director. And on his wall, Richard, he had a plaque that said, Alan Freed died for your sins. Mm. And Well, I, I mean, my first uh, job in New York as music director of WNEW-FM, first day I was on the job, um, Kid walks in the room, promotion man, he closes the door behind him, and he had a briefcase, and he pulled out this uh, almost basketball-sized <laughs> plastic bag filled with marijuana. Sure, sure. <laughs> and he said, I want to welcome you to New York. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. First of all, I don't do that stuff, and I, I really didn't. I, I drank a bit, but I never really smoked grass a lot, uh, or at all, really. Uh, and I said, and also, isn't this illegal? I mean, you give me drugs <laughs> yeah, to play yeah, records? Yeah. And he said, well, I don't know about that, but everybody does it. Yeah. And I said, well, you found somebody who didn't do it. And I think because he spread the word that, you know, I couldn't be bribed with marijuana or drugs or anything like that, nobody else offered it to me. But, you know, I'm not kidding myself to think that it didn't go on. Huh at my station and many other stations. Do you, do you believe the, um, the stories that are emerging now about organized crime being involved in, uh, in record promotions in, in, in that time period? Funny you should mention that. <laughs> uh, a while back, uh, if you read the foreword to my book, FM, I did, of course. Uh, Stephen Van Zandt yeah. wrote the yeah, foreword. Sure. And he said, you know, the only criticism I have of your book is that you really didn't do a lot about AM radio. Yeah. You know, it was just yeah. you, you had a quick thing on AM and you went right to FM radio. 
So uh, a, a year ago or so, a team of people approached me and said, we want to turn FM into a mini-series on HBO. I, you know what? I was going to ask you. Showtime or something. I was going to ask you, yeah. Well, and I said, you know, I'll listen to it. You know, I'll, I'll talk to you about it. Well, it turned out that didn't work out. Those people, um, I don't think they really knew what they were doing, but it gave me the idea of fictionalizing FM. So I came up with a character by the name of Ernie Rogers who went into the Marines, fought in the Korean War, got out of the war, and started working in radio in Memphis. And Memphis was really a hotbed of music then. That's where Elvis made his bones and Chuck Berry and all these great musicians from the South. Memphis was a town. And my guy Ernie Rogers became a PD in Memphis and was riding high and playing rock and roll and, you know, basically the Alan Freed of Memphis. And he got brought down by payola. You know, when the government cracked down in 1959 with the payola hearings, he was one of the guys that had to testify, and they nailed him, and he lost his job, lost his reputation, and basically had nothing. So he migrates to New York, where they didn't know him from Adam. They didn't care about the payola thing. They figured everybody was doing it. Gets a job in New York radio, AM radio, and then migrates to FM. It's turned into three books. Ooh. I'm about halfway through the third book. you got to send them to uh, me. you got to send them to me. We'll get you back on yeah. the air. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. We'll find when they way. come out, I will certainly let you know. Because, you know, Bob, and we were this morning we were talking in a crossover with the morning guy, the whole chess record story and the, what happens to all of that stuff. And, and the old man would tell me, he said, uh, the, the record guy would come around and they always thought they were, you know, from, from wherever they were from. And they say, hey, give me your car keys. And Bob say, you flip the guy your car keys. And when your shift was over, open the ashtray, there'd be money or not, not drugs back then, but money. Or there'd be a, a coat in the back seat for your wife or four new tires or, you know, and um, then there'd be a couple records on the front seat. And I always wondered because I did a radio show once with Dick Clark. Dick Clark actually was a great interview, had a book entitled Rock, Roll, and Remember. And... You know, Clark, was Clark ever on the take? It's always been a great question. You know, because without Dick Clark, there was nothing else. He really is. But did he take? And who took? And did Alan Freed die for your sins? I mean, I... Yeah. I the, well, it, I think it was pretty pretty clear that he did. And I yeah. think he admitted it yeah. at one point. Yeah, he did. And what Dick Clark would do, see, it got more sophisticated than just handing cash to people yep. or doing what you said with the car. Uh, what they would do is uh, they make a record, and Dick Clark, all of a sudden, his mother yes. would be given a credit for yes. producing the record or yes. writing part of the record. And therefore, when the royalties started coming in, Dick Bingo. Clark's mother would get the no, royalty no, yeah. checks, yeah, even though she had nothing to do with the record. They, yeah, no, they talked about um, he would take stock in like Wrigley Spearmint Gum or Rice because they were big sponsors. And then I think he and his wife created Chubby Checker, and he was a takeoff on Fats Domino, and they uh-huh. were—I mean, they—they were—they were in on it. I mean, they were like, but oh yeah, well, yeah. And, and the thing is, this uh, I wrote about in my book and the, the novels I've worked. Dick Clark, young, handsome oh. guy. Alan Freed was a little seedy. Yeah. yeah. So Dick Clark was very smart when he testified before Congress. He said, "Look, I did it." 
this was the way the business worked. I'm very sorry. I'll never do it again. <laughs> he divested himself yeah. of all that stuff yeah. initially yeah. and said, I, I, I've learned my lesson. And they took pity on him, and they said, here's a nice, clean-cut guy right. that was just led astray, whereas Alan Freed yeah. was a drunkard, yeah. uh, you know, womanizer, yeah. and all these men. So he's the yeah. face of Paola. He's the guy we're going to nail. I, you are so brilliant. I mean, that's what I – and the same thing was true with Lucille Ball. They had gone to all these Trotskyist meetings and were the grandfather, and then comes the time when you act hunting, and that great moment where Desi Arnaz says, the only thing read about Lucy's her hair – and they were getting other guys, but, uh, you know, Lucille Ball probably didn't have it coming, but they could have hurt her, and they didn't do it. And Dick Clark gets the pass. And it changes yeah. it changes yeah. everything. I mean, it's just uh, – I now I need to sell something. Um, I'm, I'm going to keep you as long as I can. I'm going to keep you to the end until uh, at least another hour and eight minutes. This is a one-of-a-kind, you guys. I, I can't tell you. I mean, their, their companion reads – if you read the Mark and Brian thing, and then FM, this is more brutal. The FM, the rise and fall of rock radio, Richard Near, Cowboy Moving and Storage. The recommended mover, go to cowboymoving.com. Click on customer reviews. Absolutely incredible. Family owned and operated. These are the best guys. Since 1968, Cowboy provides residential and commercial moves. They can load and hold. The load and hold is the best. Basically, you're moving in a new office, a new residence, and you need to leave your current location before the new place is available. So here they come, and they fix things up. They take load and hold. They load up the trailers. They put them in a warm, dry place, short or long-term storage, and they wait. What really makes Cowboy the recommended mover is the men that do the work. Many of these guys have been with Cowboy for years, and they truly make the difference. From moves to loads to holds to storage, Cowboy's been Colorado's recommended mover since 1968. They donate a portion of every move to Freedom Service Stars, which is wonderful. They'll move a grand piano, they'll move grandma, they'll do load and holds, they do it all. Call them, get an estimate, 303-789-2200, 303-789-2200, 303-789-2200 today. And then Alan Samuel joins us from Machine Gun Tours. You're always on the road. Where are you this morning, man? Good morning. I'm I'm in, uh, what is this, Torrington, uh, <laughs> on Wyoming. Way, on your way and to I'm Sturgis. The, I'm on my way to Sturgis. This is the... Uh, 66 mountain retreat that i'm at in this wow. place if you if you look it up on the internet it is amazing it's a it's a little bit in the middle of nowhere but i mean for hunting and uh, yeah. fishing and that sort of stuff it's an incredible ranch um but yeah i'm on my way to sturgis <laughs> and i get to judge a beauty contest tonight with the guys from the buffalo chip <laughs> see so. now alan's going to be at sturgis this year for the first time and of course you know alan with machine gun tours and we're going to have shoots at sturgis and I know everybody that he knows and he's going to go see, I know. And for a first-time trip to Sturgis, get ready. You're going to, you're going to be the man. And uh, I'm no longer going to be a Sturgis virgin no. after this, uh, this no. August. And You've I'm, only told me the stories, and now I'm going to live them? Is that what's happening? Close to it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, picking up a new mo- I'm picking up a Road King this morning, brand new, brand new Road King, so... I'm going to go out and ride. I'll be thinking about you. Real quick, plug and talk about machine gun tours for people right now because the rules are changing quickly in Colorado, if you would. Yeah. If you, if you haven't been to uh, machine gun tours, we're a full-service gun store in Lakewood, Colorado. Uh, we're on uh, Colfax, right between Sims and Youngfield, so right by the Denver West exit off I-70. But uh, basically, we, we're there for all your firearms needs. I mean, we've got... Uh, 
normally between 900 and 1100 Title I guns, that being rifles, pistols, shotguns. But then on the adventure tour side, we take people out and let you shoot all the different exotic firearms that you see. The I'll tell you what, it is, it, no, it's such a remarkable place and everything is changing rapidly and you want to get out ahead of what's going on in, in Colorado and the state. You go and see Alan, go and see the guys that work there. They're special people and they're our friends and What's the temperature in Sturgis? It's got, it was cold last week. I well, I um, looked at it before I left, and the reason that I'm going today is because I'm shooting the gap between these two winter storms. Okay. Um, it it was minus 17 Ooh. yesterday, and Ooh. today it's supposed to be in the 40s. So it's a great day for me to be out looking at things um, and walking you, around the snow, right? You wait. When we're up there and it's 90 degrees and one of those storms comes in, we're all going to be hiding out together. I, I, I can't tell you what you mean to me and that you're going to do this with Woody and everybody. Alan, you're in for the ride of your life. And we had to get some merch and make some shirts and have a great time in Sturgis. Well, brother man, I will see you when we get back. Um, well, call, right, me. call, call, yeah, call, call me tomorrow after you do this. I want to hear what you think, okay? All right. All right, everybody. Sounds great. All right. Well, what we got to do is take our break early. And then we'll come back and pick it back up again. This is a great book. FM, The Rise and Fall of Rock Radio. Richard Neer is our guest. Hang on your hats. We'll take a break early. Ready? Three, two, one, do it. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 